Welcome to the Sojourners in the Storm Bible Study Podcast. Um, today we're going to be covering chapter 8 in the Gospel of Mark, the first 10 verses to be specific. And we will be looking at Jesus feeding the 4,000. So uh, let's pray and get into it, shall we? Father God, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for another opportunity to share your word. Father, I pray that your word would come forward and not my own. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, use me as your vessel, Lord, to get your, your truth and your point across, Lord. Father, I pray, and I just lift up this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Mark chapter 8. Now, if we go back to chapter 6 in Mark, we find Jesus in a deserted area just outside of Capernaum. He is encountered and moved with compassion by a large crowd uh, of followers that gathered before him. If you remember, he went up on a hillside to see them all. And as they gathered uh, from afar, he noticed that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so in that moment, he had compassion on them. And uh, the first feeding miracle took place, the feeding of the 5,000. There was uh, a search that went on throughout the crowd. They were able to find five fish and three, uh, five loaves of bread, I'm sorry, and three small fish, which Jesus took and he broke and he blessed. And he was able to feed the entire crowd with that. Now, here in chapter 8, we find that Jesus again is on the outskirts of the town uh, in the area known as Decapolis. So he actually made a pretty long journey, uh, normally from Capernaum, which is kind of in the southern part of, uh, of the territory that he was in. He went up to Tyre and he went up to Sidon, which is about a 40-mile journey on foot. From there, he kind of came back and circled around through uh, Syria into some of the... Uh, the Gentile areas there. And as he's making his way back down to the Sea of Galilee, this is where this kind of takes place. And so uh, he was out in the wilderness. He was gone for a pretty long while. People had followed him a pretty good distance, right? If you figure he was 40 miles to the north of where he's normally at, by this point, he was, uh, you know, 40 miles back down and these people were following him. Uh, all these Gentiles were following him here. So here in chapter eight, we find that Jesus again is on the outskirts. Uh, of that uh, Gentile region, as we noted in our last study. Now we see, see him having spent three days in the region, teaching and healing the sick, and he's going to be moved with compassion once again. So let's read it. Chapter 8, uh, verse 1 says, In those days the multitude, being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now continued with me, three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry it, it, to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with, with the bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said, he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about four thousand, and he sent them away immediately, got into the boat with his disciples, and came to the region of Dalmanutha. Now, Many people that do not believe the Bible actually will raise an objection to this event taking place. 
Some say that it is a repeat of the event when Jesus miraculously fed the 5,000 in chapter 6. But when we are looking at it, it's entirely different. For instance, there are at least seven differences that we can point out uh, that separate the two events. Um, the first one, uh, in the feeding of the 5,000, the crowd had been with Jesus for just the day. In the second, the feeding of the 4,000, the, the crowd was with Jesus for three days. Uh, the second point, when the first miracle took place, the disciples were told to go and take inventory of the available food in the crowd. In the second, they already knew what they had before they were asked. In the feeding of the 5,000, there were five loaves and two fishes. In the feeding of the 4,000, there were seven loaves and a few fishes. We don't know exactly how many fishes, but a few would be more than two. So in the first instance, the people were told to sit in the grass as it was springtime and near the time of the Passover. In the second instance, the people were told to sit on the ground as the Near East, uh, Near East grass would have been burnt by the Oriental sun. The word in the Greek is G, which literally means earth or ground. In the first occasion, Jesus blessed the loaves, and in the second, he gave thanks for the bread, and then later blessed the fish. Then, uh, when the first miraculous feeding took place, there were 12 baskets of leftover fragments picked up. In the second, there were seven picked up. The number of people were different in each instance. You know, one time we had 5,000, the other we had four. Uh, this miracle takes place as Jesus ministers to a mostly Gentile crowd. The first takes place in front of a mostly Jewish audience. Uh, there were different baskets used to collect the leftover fragments in both instances. At the feeding of the 5,000, the word used to describe the baskets is kofinos, which means basket or small basket. In the feeding of the 4,000, the word used in the Greek is spirus, which means hamper. These were often used as baskets for hauling and collecting fish. They were much bigger than the ones used in the first one. So I guess in all we got nine. The one similarity that we do see, though, is obviously the disciples again doubting the overall ability to feed this amount of people. But let's go through verse by verse and break down this miracle. So chapter 8, verse 1. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way. For some of them have come from afar. So Jesus has compassion on a crowd that put importance of the word over their own physical situation. So again, deep in the region of Decapolis, a Gentile area, we find Jesus ministering to a large crowd. A trip that had, uh, had been made with the intention of rest and uh, became an opportunity for Jesus to spread the gospel to thousands. You know, the attention grew when he first healed the deaf man, if you recall in verse 36 of chapter 7. And let's read that. It says, Then he commanded them that if they should tell that they should tell no one, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. So word spread quickly after the crowds began to gather. And at this point they had been with him, listening to him teach for three days. They had to this point, as we see in the passage, come from afar from far away as well as immediate areas, and were dedicated to hearing what Jesus was teaching. The fact that they were still there and still engaged after that long and seemingly without food is something to look at. 
Now, another thing to consider with these Gentiles, remember this was a Roman and Greek society, basically. And so what these guys believed in were many gods. So if you're believing in Zeus and Aphrodite and, and, and Hermes and all these other Greek gods, right? And, um, you know, even Caesar was seen as somewhat of a godlike figure for these guys. But those deities could act, right? You, I mean, you could go pray to Zeus, but what was going to happen? Nothing. Maybe something coincidental would happen in your life, but nothing was really, truly, powerfully taking place. But along comes Jesus. And what does he do? He touches the tongue of a deaf man and he puts his fingers in his ears and suddenly the man can speak and hear, right? He heals, uh, not heals, but uh, rebukes a demon from far away when the woman comes to him in chapter seven, right? He's doing all these miracles in front of these people. And this is something that they had never seen before. So they drew, he drew his attention to them. And what he was doing as a Jewish person also was exhibiting a character that they'd never seen before. Remember, the Jews and Gentiles were like oil and water. They did not get along. But here's Jesus doing these works, doing these miracles, teaching about grace, teaching about humility, teaching about the, you know all the different things that, that we've covered in this study when it pertains to Jesus and, and, and his messages. And, you know, this was drawing people in. This was bringing people close. And you know what? They spent three days with him. They weren't about to leave him. They wanted to get as much of Jesus as they could. Now, think about it and contrast it to this type of day and age. Very often, people today have a hard time going to church because it cuts into their meal times or requires the discipline of your actions the night before when it comes to going to bed at a decent time to get to church on time. Most people have a hard time spending two hours at church, much less three days. Where would we be in most cases without coffee and donuts and cake and, and the cafes and all the other different little um, things that are there to bring you in, right? I think we often forget that Christianity requires some, comp uh, some sacrifice on our part, as we are only here because of the great sacrifice made by Jesus on the cross on our behalf. We need to, as a church and as individuals, Call to mind that sacrifice early and often so that we do not become complacent in our walks with Jesus. You know, Jesus looked on this crowd with compassion. This is to look on somebody with concern for their well-being. In this case, he was looking at their physical well-being. The crowd was hungry. They had been there for three days. That's a long time. You know, Jesus saw the need and he provided accordingly. You know, we all have needs. We all have things we worry about and we all have sometimes things that we stress over. Uh, and sometimes we do stress over those needs, right? But didn't Jesus say to us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But first, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those things shall be added to you. You know, sometimes we need to make the sacrifices before we get the blessings. This crowd stayed three days and listened intently as Jesus taught. They sacrificed comfort, food, and their daily routines to sit at Jesus' feet. You know, we, need, we too need to be of that same mindset. God is not too busy to deal with our needs. He knows them, and He will provide for them in due time. You know, it's also something to think about if we consider the unbeliever as well. We may look at Jesus' provisions for the people here as well as ourselves as believers. 
You know, every breath we take, every meal we eat, every drop of water we drink is a gift from God. We are not entitled to anything because of our understanding as believers, but we are gifted everything along with the unbelievers because God is graceful, because he is loving and long-suffering on our behalf. You know, it would be one thing to only allow the people he knows to trust him, that, that will trust him to eat and drink and survive, but that's not who God is. His nature is love, and thus he loves the believer as well as the unbeliever and provides for all just the same. Verse 4. Then the disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. So Jesus can take a small amount to accomplish great things. You know, this time around, it seems that the disciples were ready with an inventory of food, you know, they had on hand. I think instead of asking the crowd this time, they were counting their own stock. And they were, were willing to offer up whatever they had for the people. Uh, even if they were doubting the ability to feed so many people with such a small amount of bread. You know, verse 7 says that they also had a few small fish. And so that is added to uh, that is added to this miracle. And we're going to take a look at that a little bit later on. You know, the question <clears throat> that we see from, from, the, from the disciples, we see the reality of most of our faith sometimes. <clears throat> you know, how many times when we are sick, do we question God? How many times when we're in a tough situation do we question God? When we're having doubts, do we question God? When we're afraid, do we question God? When we seem to be out of resources, do we question God? The problem with uh, us as well as the problem with the disciples is that we can quickly forget the miracles that God has performed in our lives and at the same time lose faith in His ability to perform them again. You know, it was not long before this event that Jesus fed 5,000 people with less than what he had now. And it seems that the disciples were questioning his ability to do it again. Now, what they didn't realize was that this was not Shaquille O'Neal shooting free throws and sometimes getting lucky and one going in. You know, this was Jesus. This was the second member of the Trinity. You know, he was there at creation, creating. And all, that, all things that exist are only possible because of him. You know, just because Jesus works through an impossible situation in our lives once does not mean that we are not to expect him to do it again. God is faithful. He is consistent. And most of all, uh, he, is, he is constant. You know, he loves us and his provision is always available if we have faith that he will come through. You know, God is able to take whatever we have and make it great, not for our benefit, but for his glory. He is not interested in our comfort so much as he is interested in our character. And our character is a trait that comes with our faith as trust in God to act on uh, our faith to trust in God to act on our behalf. You know, if we want to glorify God in this life, we have to trust God. Trust God. Uh, trust develops faith and faith grounds us in God's loving provision. We are his greatest miracles in that he takes us at face value when we turn to him. And he develops us into something like himself when we were taken up to him. Now, I want to be clear also. I'm not talking about wealth and possessions that God gives us. I'm talking about our own growth. You know, we may come to the Lord without two nickels to rub together and be taken up to him in the same fashion. But along the way, the Lord instills in us character, virtue, patience, compassion, trust, 
understanding, and knowledge. You know, we may come to the Lord with just the understanding that we need help and that He that only He helps us by saving us. But with that, He develops us in all aspects of our lives that are uh, were in the first place requiring His interven intervention. You know, seven loaves of bread may have seemed like nothing in the eyes of the disciples, just as a morally corrupt and abysmal sinner may seem like nothing in the eyes of the world. But in God's eyes, it just it's just enough to make something immeasurably great and glorifying out of. So don't ever look at your shortcomings in any area as just a waste or inadequate. But understand that what you have is enough raw material for God to do something great with. Now consider this. At creation, we go back to Genesis 1-1, right? Think about it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What did he create them out of? You know, he didn't have just like a big bucket of Legos that he started working on with. He created everything that exists out of nothing. Ex nihilo, right? What can he take with just that one shroud of obedience and dignity that you have in your body? And, and what can he do with a willing heart, with an open heart that's ready to submit to him? You know, he can take that and make great things out of it. God can turn you into a great person, but it takes submission and it takes obedience, and it takes discipline on our parts. Verse 6, So he commanded the multitude to sit on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to set them also before them. So God never stops giving when we recognize the provision, uh, where the provision comes from. You know, Jesus commands the crowd to sit on the ground. Imagine a crowd, you know, close your eyes and think about this, of over 4,000 people, not if you're driving, in the late summer sun, all crowded around Jesus in this region of Decapolis, hungry, tired. Don't try and imagine the smell. Just imagine the image at this point. You know, they had been there for three days, listening intently, seeing people healed, having their hearts broken, their conscience being put into overdrive, and Jesus teaching about sin and repentance and grace. Then suddenly, bread is put in front of them. Their stomachs growl at the sight that they uh, they must have been eager for a morsel, right? But Jesus says to sit, and they sit. They had patience, just as we must have patience as we wait for God to act in our lives. You know, Jesus takes the seven loaves, the small amount of bread, and gives thanks to the Father. Who provided for them all things are God's he allows us to partake and then he proceeds to break them up as he breaks the bread he gives it to this to the disciples and the disciples take it out to the people now the verb broke in, in the Greek is the errorist tense meaning it was a divisive act as he was breaking the, and tearing apart the loaves the term gave in the Greek is in the imperfect that implies that he kept on giving. So basically, he didn't just break up the seven loaves and pass them out to his disciples. This implies that he stood there for some time and kept breaking these loaves into more and more pieces, as the loaves never seemed to diminish. They can uh, The same can be noted about the fish. He kept breaking them up or cutting them up or however they dealt with them. And they, it, he just stood there and he just kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it. And the more he broke, the more bread there was and more fish. Now, what we need to look at 
is that when God gives, He gives with abundance. But our attitude must be one of submission and gratitude. We do nothing on our own, but it is God that provides for us as we humbly submit and give thanks for all that He gives to us. We do not develop Christ-like character unless we are willing to submit and be thankful for what all that we receive. You know, we are not entitled to anything. We are gifted by the grace of God all things. You know, it's not just that God gives, but He keeps giving abundantly and without effort. When we love somebody, there's nothing we wouldn't do to show them that love. We give and we give and we give. That is the way God is with us. We are constantly be given, being given even if we do not understand what we are being given at the time. For the crowd, it was fish and bread. For us, it's grace and love. And for the disciples, it was a lesson in faith and expectation. Verse 8. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. So Jesus provides fulfillment. Now this is interesting, because in the Bible we find the number seven mentioned uh, very often. 490 times to be exact which is cool as well as well because if we break that down into multiples um it, it, it the the multitudes of the multiples of that are 70 times 7 you know when we look at this passage the disciples have on hand seven loaves of bread and at the end of the feast there are seven baskets or fragments picked up uh seven baskets of fragments i should say you know why do we notice this because seven is the divine number for fulfillment or spiritual completion. Whenever we see it, we are reminded of the biblical calendar of seven days. The biblical concept of a week in Daniel is seven years and so forth. You know, in the Hebrew, the word seven is translated as Shiva. It is from the root Sava, which means to be full or satisfied, to have enough of. For on the seventh day, God rested from the work of creation. It was full and complete and good and perfect. Nothing could be added to it or taken away from it. Now, in this case, we are shown that Jesus fed the large crowd with just seven loaves of bread. That was enough to do it all. The remains returned in baskets numbering seven. And the interesting part of, all of, uh, of it all is that these baskets were huge. Remember the difference between the baskets in the feeding of the, the 5,000 and these ones. The first miracles had baskets returned in smaller baskets. Something if you would picture like a fruit basket in your house that you have. Um, and the second, there were larger, seven larger baskets. And the description I found for these baskets is one that was large enough to carry a man inside of them. Now you got to picture that. That's a pretty big basket. That's like a hot air balloon gondola, if you think about it, right? Or maybe just a little bit smaller than that. But you can fit a man in there. That's a pretty big, ba pretty big basket. You know, um, now here's another nugget. Twelve, as we saw in the first miracle, is the divine number for government. And in the second, we see the number seven. The number five for the five loaves that we saw in the first miracle is not a, a divine number, but it signifies grace. So this it is just me reading between the lines here. But it seems that if we allow Jesus to govern our lives, we are granted spiritual perfection through grace. Think about that. That's kind of cool, right? I mean, if you combine and think about these two miracles taking place, each one has its own different aspects and stuff like that, but the message is still the same. You know, God is graceful, He's compassionate, He's loving, and He takes care of us in our time of need, right? If we submit to Him, 
He's going to, you know, he's going to give us all that we need through grace. It, it's pretty awesome. Another thing to look at is the bread in this miracle. Now, in the first miracle, Jesus broke the bread for the Jews and fed them and then told them that he is the bread of life. Remember in John chapter 6, verse 35, he says, and Jesus said, it says, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. In the next miracle that was performed, where bread was used as an illustration in Mark 7, you know, we saw Jesus tell a Gentile woman that the bread must be served to the children first before it is given to the dogs, meaning that salvation or the bread of life was first presented to the Jews. And that brings us to... Uh, to the third miracle involving bread and the feeding of the 4,000. And here we have a distinct difference between the first and the third that is confirmed by the second. In the first, Jesus saw the need for a shepherd in the Jewish people. He had compassion on them and he fed them and then began to teach. In the latter, Jesus taught then fed the people. For the Jews, they were already God's chosen nation from the time of Abraham on. But for the Gentiles, we are, on the wild, uh, we are the wild branches that had to be grafted into the already prepared garden, as we read in Romans chapter 11. The Jewish people had largely rejected Jesus as Messiah. And as, uh, as we read in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, it says, Indeed, he says, It is too small a thing uh, that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Salvation would come to the Gentiles after it was extended and rejected by the Jews. One man named Erdman writes this. The first miracle in this period it, it initiated the, that crumbs be fed, uh, of bread might be fed from the table of the needy Gentiles uh, for the needy Gentiles. Here they may be an here they may be an initiation that Jesus rejected his own people uh, is to give his is to give his life for the world and is to be the living bread for all nations. You know, if we look back at Romans eleven, as I mentioned before, we see that that all come together in one place. In Romans chapter eleven, verse eleven, it says, "I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not." but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them, for if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, there will what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches are broken off, and you, being wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. So in these three miracles, we see a pattern of history begin to unfold. First, Israel rejects Jesus, the Gentiles. Uh, then accept Jesus, but in due time Israel will see Jesus for who he is. Three truths, three miracles, and one more number of interest for you. The number three, God's number of divine perfection. 
and his grace and mercy are perfect traits of his love for man. Now, one more thought. You know, we saw the number seven pop up a few times in, in this passage. And, you know, we saw the, the events take place, right, where Jesus first explains to the woman that salvation must come to the Jews first, right, and then to the Gentiles. But I think in this sequence, we saw the uh, divine fulfillment take place as Jesus both gave grace and mercy to the Jews and the Gentiles. It was a picture of what was to come after the cross. And I think that was a pretty beautiful thing. If we look at, at Jesus and his love for all mankind, right? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his son to save it, right? Not just, you know, that word, word whole world. You know, it's not just some people. It's not just a few people. But it's all-encompassing for each and every person. You know, Jesus might have had a mission to bring about the house of Israel, on his earthly ministry, you know, during his lifetime. But the main scheme of things, as we read there in Isaiah, was that everybody would be saved. And so he offers that invitation for each and every one of us to accept his grace, to accept his mercy, to accept that spiritual fulfillment that only Jesus can bring to us. You know, so many people in this world today are searching for somebody to follow, looking for something to follow, something to model their lives after. But, you know, you can turn to all these different religions, and there's 4,200 religions, but none of them offer a complete fulfillment the way that Jesus Christ can. None of them let you know that you know that you know that you know that you are saved other than Jesus Christ. Because He loves you, because He cares for you, because He provides for you, because He died for you. No other God has ever died for any other person. Every other God always requires that you sacrifice for them. But no, his sacrifice came for us on the cross. And it doesn't matter whether we're Christians for 50 years or 80 years or 100 years, or if we get saved two minutes before we die. You know what? God is faithful. God is loving. God is kind. And God is graceful. And he will take us just as we are. You know, remember that. No matter where you are or where you've been or what you've done in this life, Jesus Christ died for you. He died for your sins and he will take them away. All you have to do is ask and submit to him. That's it. And you know what? It sounds like a big word to submit to Jesus Christ. It sounds like something tough to lay down your life. But what you're doing is you're hanging up those old sins. You're nailing them to the cross alongside Jesus so that he could bear them for you and pay the price for you. Man, that is ultimate love. Jesus doesn't just love you, but he love loves you. You know, he would go to the ends of the earth, and he in fact did. In fact, he ascended into hell for you on that day on the cross, and in those three days in between the time when he was on the cross and the resurrection. He loves you, and there's no greater love than that ever expressed throughout all of human history. So just think about that. And if you haven't come to him, if maybe you're listening to this for the first time, you know, there is always a time for Jesus Christ to come into your life. He's waiting for you. He's listening for you. You know, just be there. Just listen. Just wait and let it come. Um, Mark chapter 8 verse 9 says, Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away immediately, got into the boat with his disciples, and came to the region of Delmanutha. So Jesus sends the crowd home and returns to the Jewish populace. 
Now 4,000 people, not counting women and children, were present for the miracle. But more importantly, for the, le uh, for the lesson that Jesus shared with them. You know, he was there for three days. Or at least the crowd was with him for three days. We don't know how, as, exactly how long he was out in that region. You know, they finally ate their fill and returned home as Jesus had fed them so that they would have safe passage. Right? In our daily lives, uh, we must feast daily on the bread that is Jesus Christ. This will ensure for us as well a safe passage home to heaven. You know, we need the word of God in us. We cannot be Christians, we cannot be Christ-like if we are not reading about Jesus Christ. If we are not getting to know Him, seeking the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and not just seeking that knowledge, but applying that knowledge to our lives. We've got to constantly be growing and stretching our lives to be more like Him, to develop our character, to develop our moral uh, grounding, our understanding, our ethical worldview, all these different things. There's only one way to get it, and that is through the Bible. You know, we live in a day and age where we can reach out. We can find podcasts like these and so many other podcasts that are so much better than this one. Let's be honest. And you know what? Each and every one of those things, if we glean one thing from each message, how much better and how much closer to Jesus are we than that than, than we were before, right? We've got to constantly be growing. We've got to be constantly feeding on the word that is Jesus Christ in prayer, in reading, in study, in meditation. All these different things are going to draw us closer to him. So he immediately, upon dismissing the crowd, got into a boat and went to the region of Dalmanutha, which is on the western side of the Sea of Galilee near Tiberias. Now this is also called Magadon in Matthew, uh, which would be the town that he actually visited. Now at this point, we take a turn back to dealing with the ire of the Pharisees as they begin an immediate assault and campaign of opposition towards Jesus. Now, what's important for us today, though, is that we do trust Jesus for all that we have, as well as for all of our needs. You know, he knows our needs. He knows our weaknesses. He knows when we are hungry, when we are tired, when we are sick, and when we are well. But in all of, the, uh, all of that, he keeps our best interests at heart. You know, if we need rest, he provides rest. If we need food, he provides food. We never know how or where it will come from, but it's always there for us. You know, he's perfect in every way. He provides food. He provides shelter. And most importantly, he offers us salvation through Jesus Christ, which is freely offered and freely given to each and every one of us. No matter what we've been or where we come from, God will always extend that branch to us. We must have and be willing, uh, have an open heart and be willing to listen submit, and be thankful and humble in receiving it. So with that, let's pray. And, you know, for those of you that maybe haven't given your life over to Jesus Christ, for those of you that might just be listening on uh, a whim or, or this podcast came up in your search or whatever, I want to pray with you. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, make that time now. It doesn't matter how or where or, or what circumstance you come into to the Lord with, you know, we all get saved in a different way, but I just want to pray this prayer with you. And, it, you know, if that day is the day for you right now, pray it with me and pray it in your heart. Father God, Lord, thank you for sending your son to the cross for me. Lord, I thank you for bearing my sins on the cross for me. Lord, today I give my life to you. Today I submit to you, Lord, 
Father, I pray that you would work in my life, that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. And from this day forward, Lord, that you would turn me into something more like you. Father, I pray and I just lift up these uh, prayers to you in Jesus' name. Amen.